0: There in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 31 through 35, hear now the word of the living God. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out and depart thence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils. And I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come, when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh, In the name of the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God we do give thee thanks this morning for thy word. We ask that you would be pleased to give us understanding. That you would be pleased to open my mouth that I might proclaim thy word. Give me utterance and we pray that by your spirit you would apply that word to our hearts. O Lord, we confess that it is so easy for us to be distracted and to neglect the preaching of thy word. And we plead, O Lord, that you would bless it to the benefit of our souls. And give us ears that would hear it and hearts that would receive it. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. As we continue in our study, particularly of Luke chapter 13, this is a long section, and we've seen all throughout a number of these recent passages as Jesus is journeying toward the city of Jerusalem, as he's preparing for that final day when he would give his life as a ransom for many, we find that much opposition arises and that even in the midst of the great miracles and signs and wonders that Jesus is doing, even in the midst of the great mercy and compassion that he has on people, we find that there's much affliction, much conflict that continues. Here as we come to the end, and of course there's a number of passages still left in Luke's account of the gospel, but as we are coming to the end of that final Time in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's about six months left in his journey toward the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is significant. It's significant here in this passage because this passage starts out addressing Jerusalem. And now we see Jesus speaking here in this passage about Jerusalem. And then we see reference made again to Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem is very important because that is the place where the people of God under the Old Testament worshipped God. The sacrifices would be made. The priest would once a year make atonement for the sins of the people. And so now they were preparing for that journey toward Jerusalem, toward those feast days that were so important in the life of Israel. But as we see in our continuation of this passage, we see that there's a lot of opposition that comes from the Lord Jesus. But in these oppositions that come, there's been a number of warnings that He's given us. And we want to remember the warnings that are given within the context because this is a covenant document. As we see under the Old Covenant... Those covenant documents had promises, and they had warnings, they had stipulations. And we see that here, and the stipulations that Jesus lays down. And as he has already told us about that parable of the fig tree, showing us that the fig tree will be judged. That the fig tree indeed will show that God has brought judgment to Israel. And so in the context of all of this, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ in his journey toward Jerusalem speaks about the kingdom of God. Luke there in verse 22 reminds us that Jerusalem is the object of the Lord's journey. He says in verse 22 of chapter 12, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. And then over here in chapter 13, verse 22, we see the Lord Jesus going throughout the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward the city of Jerusalem. So this is the second stage in Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. He talks about the narrow gate. And now he comes to this passage of scripture where he laments over the city of Jerusalem. We see here that Jesus speaks of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of the kingdom of God and that there are few that will be saved. And that was the topic of last week's discussion. That the man came and said, are there few that will be saved? And then Jesus calls them to strive to enter into that straight gate. And then he talks about those of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their generations who will sit down in the kingdom of God. And so as he leads up to this passage of Scripture, we find here the Lord Jesus calling the people to enter into the kingdom of God. But here in the passage before us, We find Jesus in this encounter with the Pharisee that came to him. It happened on the same day. It says that certain of the Pharisees came and said unto him, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. It's interesting when you look at this because you don't often think of a Pharisee coming and giving Jesus a warning. But there are a number of assumptions that commentators make about this statement. And perhaps there was some element of concern for the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not the case. When you really look at the context of the passage. As this man comes to him and says, Lord, there, there's a threat against you. Herod is going to kill you. We don't know what his motivation is. Luke doesn't record it. He just simply says, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. Where did he want him to go? Where did he want him to get out of? He wanted him to leave that region. And so the motive was not pure. The motive was one of, let's get rid of this Jesus before he causes more trouble. And this is is the thought here. That the Lord Jesus Christ... Um, is under threat that Herod will kill him. This is Herod Antipas, but it was his father who killed John the Baptist. You remember there in the account in Matthew's Gospel that when Jesus was born, Herod put out a decree that all the world should be taxed. And you know why his decree went out to tax the world? So you know how many babies were in each household? So he could put to death all children under the age of two. Why was that? He wanted to get rid of Jesus. This child that is born is a threat to my kingdom. He's a threat to me and I want him removed. And so that's why the census was put out. So that he might remove. Let's just remove every child under two. And then we'll know that Jesus has been snuffed out. But here in this passage of scripture. We see the craft and the malice of enemies of the gospel. Oftentimes, they might come to us like this Pharisee and say, "Oh, you know, there's trouble brewing. You you better you better be careful." But that's not the that's not the intent here. They wanted Jesus out of the city. They wanted to remove him. And you can see the craft and malice of those enemies who oppose the gospel. Herod will kill thee. In fact, that was the point that there is going to come a future day when he will kill thee. Notice what Jesus says in verse 32. I love verse 32. You go and tell that fox that I cast out devils, I do curses, I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will be perfected. We we see here that Jesus had no Um, that Jesus did not have any regard for Herod. We see here that the Lord Jesus did not fear him. He calls him a fox, and there's a couple of things we want to see here in that phrase, the fox. We learn from the life of the Lord Jesus, and I think this is so important for us to receive instruction in, that Jesus never... Show disdain or disrespect for those who are in authority. That is the tendency in our day. We've all done it. No matter how tyrannical the leader may be. We learn from the life of John Knox with Bloody Mary. Queen Mary. Whom he referred to as Madam. Whom he addressed on many occasions. He gave her respect and honor. Even though he despised what she was doing. And so when Jesus calls Herod a fox, he's not using a term that brings a disregard upon his office. He's not calling him a fox in that sense. But he's calling him a fox because a fox indicated something, an animal that was shrewd, an animal that was sly, an animal that was cunning. If you know anything about a fox, they're a very small animal. They're afraid of people. And so this is most likely the indication of what Jesus is stating here. That as a fox, when it came to snuffing out the gospel, when it came to his malice against Christ and against his kingdom, he refers to him as a fox because he's very sly, he's very cunning. So that's why he refers to him as a fox. It's not something where he calls the... The king, a fox, because um, he has disdain for him. He calls him a fox because he is sly and cunning. This is what he says You go and tell that fox that I cast out devils, that I do cures today and tomorrow, and that on that third day I will be perfected. And so here Jesus gives us a glimpse of the craft malice of the enemies of the gospel notice here that they never rest you notice even in our own day the enemies of the gospel the enemies of the church never rest they always have another plan they always have another scheme they always have another way of of coming against the people of God and so here in our passage of scripture we see that they never settle down they're always at work Even after the Lord Jesus Christ was taken into heaven. The malice. The craftiness of the enemies of the gospel. Continue. We see it in the book of Acts. In the sequel to Luke's gospel. But he was a crafty. Sly fox. He was out to get the Lord Jesus. But don't forget that this Pharisee was not warning him. Out of kindness. But it was out of malice. We don't want you continuing here. They wanted him to leave that region which is Perea. And go back into Galilee. Because that's where Herod had control. And so they figure if we send him away. Send him into another city. Then he will certainly be under the power of Herod. And he will be killed. But Jesus simply tells him. You you tell Herod. What I've done. What I continue to do. There is no fear. There is no um, thought of, of his life being snuffed out. But not only do we see the craft and malice of the enemy of the gospels here. Of the gospel here. But we see the example of Jesus. That he is not deterred from his duty. How often would someone come and threaten us. And there have been many people that have been threatened. They come and threaten you and say you cannot speak. That's what happens in the book of Acts. Don't speak any longer in that name. What do the apostles do? They go out and continue to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't care about their life. But here we see in the, this account the example of Jesus. That he is not deterred from his duty. We saw this before. Um, over in the uh, previous passage. But as the Lord Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem. That he is intent. That he has Jerusalem on his mind. That he does not deter from his journey toward that city. That he has on his mind that he will suffer and die. And that he will give his life as a ransom for many the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ was on his mind. He was not deterred from his duty. No matter what things may come in our life, whether it be trial or tribulation, perhaps it's family issues that distract us, nothing should ever deter us from our duty to serve the Lord our God. One of the great temptations that the enemy brings to us is to get us distracted. Here's something you need to give attention to. Here's something you need to give attention to. Here's something you need to give attention to. And when we find ourselves distracted and focused on other things then we are not focused on the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ but here the Lord Jesus who is fully God and yet fully man comes to fulfill The will of the Father. He comes to fulfill the purpose that God has given to him. And so he is not deterred from his duty. Neither should we be deterred from our duty. Whatever may come against us. We should always use every opportunity as the Apostle Paul says. For the days are evil. And so as Jesus replies and tells This Pharisee, to go back to Herod, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ is not deterred from His mission and from His work. Verse 33, he says, Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day after. For it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Here's something very prophetic here. That Jesus knew that his life and earthly ministry would end in Jerusalem. That nothing would deter him from that. That in the providence of God, he would make it all the way to Jerusalem. and That nothing would deter him from that journey. This is a long journey. Most likely it was either by foot or by camel. But as he made that journey toward Jerusalem, he was not detoured from that. He knew that he must go toward the city of Jerusalem. But when he says there, it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem, he's telling this Pharisee that as a prophet, he will die in Jerusalem, not outside of it. And so Jesus shows us that his end will come. By the appointment of the Father. Friends we must remember that whatever comes against us. Whether it be trials or whether it be persecution. Or whether it be a hostility. Because the fact that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can snuff out our life until the Lord has determined That we finish out our days. And the Lord teaches us that we will not come to the end of our journey until those days that He has allotted for us are fulfilled. And so we must not be deterred from our duty. You must not be deterred from your duty to follow and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what deters us from our duty? Family activities these activities, this busy time of the year, everybody gets so involved in other things. And we can use those as excuses to deter us from our spiritual duty. But our service to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His kingdom must never be deterred. And Jesus shows us that here. But we see thirdly, not only the craft and malice of the enemies of the gospel, not only the example of Jesus to fulfill His duty, that We see that the Lord Jesus Christ must finish his work. And that that work must be perfected. This reference here in verse 32. To doing cures and miracles today, tomorrow. He says the third day I will be perfected. That reference to the third day being perfected. Shows that his work will be perfected in his sufferings. He came To finish the work that the Lord God gave him. And when Jesus was hanging there on the cross. At the end of his life. After he faced the suffering. And now he's facing death. He says those words. It is finished. That what he accomplished. For the salvation of his people. The suffering that he endured. It is finished. The work of salvation was complete. By his death upon the cross. And so Jesus is saying. It will be perfected. My life will not come to an end. Until that day. That is appointed by my father. When that work. Will be perfected. The writer of Hebrews tells us. That the Lord Jesus Christ. Learned obedience. Through the things that he suffered. He is fully God and fully man and yet in his full humanity he was perfect in his obedience. As I've said before, you can, be, you can be pure humanity and be without sin. Jesus here is the second Adam is without sin. And so in his sufferings he learned obedience. He learned That he must submit to the will of the Father. He learned that the Father gave him a mission that must be accomplished. That mission is to suffer and die for the sins of his people. But we also see here, fourthly, the judgment that is issued. And the prophecy that is given. Here as as Jesus stands before this Pharisee gives testimony to the work of the kingdom we see Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem twice he says in verse 34 o Jerusalem Jerusalem the commentary that he gives of, of Jerusalem is that there is a they are a city who kills the prophets and stones them that are sent unto thee and so this is a commentary of judgment he's Warning the Pharisee as well. That Jerusalem is under the judgment of God. Because they have killed the prophets. They have killed the messengers of God. And they stone the ones that are sent unto him. But here in this verse not only do we see the judgment of God upon Jerusalem. Upon the, the uh, people of God. We also see a picture of the tender love and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that he desired to gather them as children. As a hen gathers her brood. And they would not. Notice verse 35. It's very similar to what we saw earlier in Hosea chapter 9. Behold your house is left unto you desolate the house of god is left desolate the people of god israel is left as a desolate desolate house and so here's the judgment they kill the prophets they stone them they would not receive them they were not willing to repent and to believe the gospel And so they are to be blamed for their own sin. They are to be blamed for their own guilt and for their own damnation. Oftentimes it's easy for us to say, well, we don't know if he's one of God's elect, so we're not going to bother. We don't know who the elect of God are. But here we find that the Lord Jesus Christ shows that those who are guilty and those who turn away from God are judged for their own guilt and their own sin. But in light of that, he shows great mercy. When he refers to the house being left desolate, it says that God's judgment would fall upon Israel because of their refusal to repent and follow Christ. And so in 70 A.D., the city of Jerusalem was judged God destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. And that indicated the end of the Jewish age. That the house was left desolate. God's judgment came to Israel in 70 AD. No longer were they regarded as the people of God. And God showed, in the Lord Jesus Christ shows here, that God will bring judgment upon that house. And it will come soon. But in the midst of the judgment, here's a wonderful prophecy of hope. Notice this statement here at the end of verse 35. Because this is a difficult thing to reconcile. But he says, Ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Some commentators, and there are few, believe that this refers to the triumphal entry of of Jesus in Jerusalem. But if you look at the triumphal entry the city of Jerusalem, uh, that is not the case. Uh, There are many who did not say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. There is a type of something that is more future that the Lord Jesus here is referring to. But as he refers to that time when the king will come, he says, you will not see me until the time when I come, and you will say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. There are two things I believe that this is referring to, and not all commentators are in agreement on it, but most Reformed commentators like Ian Murray, would agree with this, refers to that time of which the Apostle Paul speaks of there in Romans chapter 11, where in the future the, there will be a prophecy fulfilled, and as I draw your attention to Romans chapter 9, this is a difficult passage because not all Reformed people are in agreement on this. But it says there in verse, uh, or chapter 9, when he talks about the doctrine of, of election, he talks about the fact that the Lord will bring in those who are not his people. We see Paul emphasizing that great doctrine of election. But that covers chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. But there in chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And then you come to chapter 11, and Paul asks the question, Hath God cast away his people? God forbid... For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast his people away which he foreknew. And then it says in verse 10, Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back away. I will say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid... But rather through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. And so when Israel fell in sin, God brought salvation to the Gentile nations, those outside of Israel, to provoke her to jealousy. But the Apostle Paul says that there is coming a day in which all Israel will be saved. That the Lord will... Bring in a day when he will gather in his elect from Israel. And that's a difficult teaching in our day. It is not the idea that's taught by dispensationalists. That before the Lord Jesus returns there will be the rebuilding of the temple. There will be the implementation of sacrifices. And there will be a millennial age that will come upon the earth. It talks about salvation coming to a remnant of Jews who come to the Lord Jesus Christ in some future age. And this is the position of many. But here when you go back to the passage, notice the passage says, you shall not see me. You shall not see me until the time comes when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So it's referring to that future age when he will bring in a remnant from the Jewish nation. But it's also referring to that glorious day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And then all eyes will see him. Even those who have persecuted him. And there's more that could be said on this. But as you you consider the, the, the prophecy of the Apostle John. That when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the end. It says every eye shall see him. Even those who have pierced him. But the passage tells us that ye. This Pharisee you Jews will say. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They did not say that then. They wanted to kill him. But now he says, There's coming a day when you will say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is a reference to Psalm 118. This is one that we often sing at the Lord's table. But there in Psalm 118, And verse 26. Blessed be he. That cometh. In the name of the Lord. For we have blessed you. Out of the house. Of the Lord. So here's a reference. To those who come. In the name of the Lord. Will be blessed. And here at the end of our passage. You shall see me. And you will say blessed is he. That cometh in the name of the Lord. And so the blindness of the nation of Israel is partial. It's for a time. But there's a future day. When that blindness will be removed from the nation. And the Lord will bring in a remnant. From out of Israel. And here's a wonderful promise. That the Lord Jesus Christ. Will receive unto himself. All of his elect. From both Jew and Gentile nations. And so we see the great plan of God. We see the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he shows anguish over the city of God. But then he reminds him that the glorious day is coming. When many will say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord question this morning is do you believe that are you saying blessed is he that is the lord jesus christ who comes in the name of the lord he is the savior he is the redeemer he is the one who gave himself as a ransom to many for many jesus proved his will to save sinners by going to jerusalem by dying for their sins And so we find from this passage that we are called as sinners to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust completely in him. To be able to say, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. What we see in type as Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey will be fulfilled in that day. When all. The nations of the earth, both Jew and Gentile, will look upon Him whom they have pierced. There's much in this passage of Scripture, but as we close out this passage, we are reminded that the great conflict that will come to the people of God before the Lord Jesus Christ will be intense. At times it will be greatly intense. But are we willing to say in the midst of the conflict in the midst of the persecution that the Lord Jesus Christ is my King that I worship and glorify Him? Because if we are not willing to say that He is my King that I worship Him we are not willing to confess His name before those who despise us and hate us. And how can we call ourselves disciples disciples Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us make that determination. To stand firm. For the Lord Jesus Christ. To not be deterred from our duty. To remember. That there is a glorious day coming. When he will receive his own. And all of his people. On that glorious day will say. Blessed is he. Who cometh. the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give Thee thanks this morning for that glorious work that was appointed by the Father for You to carry out. We thank You that Your meat is to do the will of the Father that You perfectly carried out with that in every detail. And we thank You, O Lord, that our salvation is finished, that what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us upon the cross is complete. Lord, we pray that as we live in this fallen world, that as we see the craftiness and malice of the enemies of the gospel, we pray that you grant us compassion for them, that you would grant us mercy toward them, that we would be willing to stand firm for Christ in whatever situation we find ourselves. Lord, we pray that you give us strength, that we would fulfill our duty, that we would not be deterred from that no matter what conflicts, no matter what um, things may come at us to distract us, we pray that we would not be deterred from our duty. O oh Lord God, we give thee thanks that the, gl- the day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will remove the blindness from the eyes of the Jewish people and that he will one day come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Lord, give us grace that we might live with that hope, that we might live with that expectancy. For we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us conclude this morning as we sing together from Psalm 106a. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, thank the Lord.